This is ESPN New York Tonight. Here's Larry Hardesty and Gordon Damer. Oh, jam-packed show for a big Wednesday night. It is Gordon Damer flying solo. We got a Mets split. We get the Yankees getting ready to get underway. And a little football talk tonight as well. It's all coming up right now. Yes, we are up and running on this uh, Wednesday, July 7th. It's, it's still one of those weeks. Anytime you get the holiday and the Sunday and everybody's off the Monday, all the days are all screwed up. Kind of feels like a Thursday. Doesn't feel like a Wednesday, but it is Wednesday, July 7th. Hey, how you doing? Uh, it is ESPN New York tonight. I'm Gordon Damer flying solo. Larry remains on vacation this week, so it's you and I for the next two hours. We'll... Live and die with the Yankees who are getting underway in Seattle. And, of course, uh, you can find me on Twitter, on Instagram, at Gordon Damer. But, of course, more importantly, right here uh, until midnight tonight on 98.7 FM ESPN New York. The number, of course, you know, 1-800-919-ESPN. And lots of stuff to do tonight as the uh, Yankees and Mariners get underway in Seattle. We'll see if the Yankees can make it two in a row against the Mariners. Let's not get our hopes up because... As has been the story with the Yankees, it's always something this year. It's always something. Today, Domingo Herman needs an emergency root canal. So Nick Nelson's going to get the start. Herman apparently is available in the bullpen. Apparently he can't start the game, but he can come out of the bullpen after an emergency root canal. And look, considering the Yankees scored 12 runs last night, the over-under on runs tonight, I'd probably put it at like two and a half. Two and a half would be my over-under. And uh, because there's always some, something is always coming up and it's only a matter of time before somebody needs an appendectomy or the tonsils out or something with the way this season is going. We got the NBA finals opening up last night. So we got to touch on that Suns game one performance and what that means moving forward. But you know what? Let's start with your New York Mets. Yes, let's start with the Mets. The Mets split their double header today. They come back to win the first game in exciting fashion 4-3 in the eighth just when it seemed like they were destined for a loss, a late home run. They get a couple of runs in that eighth inning. They pull off the win. Now, they do lose the nightcap to the Brewers 5-0. But let's start with the opener because that was a good win for them. That was a a gutty win where it looked like, again, they were going to go down 2-1. They get the home run by Peraza, and then they get into the extras and even fall behind there, but get the bases loaded. And Jeff McNeil with the big base at two-run single to win it. And talk about a guy who could use a big hit. You know, look, I've said this before about the Mets offense. I think the Mets offense is going to be fine. No team goes through, every team goes through bad stretches. Even good teams go through bad stretches. But the stretch that the Mets offense went through where they were scoring basically like three runs a game, you're not going to do that for two solid months. The Mets had a bad stretch. They're through their bad stretch, and they've gotten a little healthier, right? Conforto's back. Uh, Nimmo's back and McNeil's back but you talk about a guy who has struggled and we talk a lot about guys who struggle if it's with the Mets with Lindor or Conforto if it's just baseball in general with the struggles of, of Glaber Torres who has been one of the least productive players in the entire sport you know McNeil has not really been all that far off you take a look at McNeil's numbers this year 243 an on-base of 327 and a slugging of 329. He's got an OPS plus of 85. Those are terrible numbers. The power has just evaporated for him this year. Now, he got hurt. He was struggling earlier in the year. He got hurt. He came back, and he's not been any better. And the thing about him is he's not really – I mean, he hits for some power, 
but he's not a pure power hitter. He's not a guy that's trying to rip the ball and pull the ball every time. He's supposed to be like a pure hitter that slaps the ball around the field. And you thought that coming into this year, now with second base open, with Cano not in the picture for this year, you, you kind of expected that it would be a big year for him. And it has not been the case so far. So look, again, the, the injury kind of really delayed his season. So his overall numbers, his counting stats, as they say, are not going to look great even when the season's probably over. But the percentage stats, you, you'd like to see now a step moving in the right direction. And it really has not been the case. He has come back and has still kind of struggled. So maybe this hit today gets him going. You've already seen the, uh, the importance of having Brandon Nimmo back in the line of a guy at the top of the order who gets on base as much as he does. But you need to have a, a little bit lengthening of that lineup. And one guy who has been missing so far this year has been Jeff McNeil. So we talk about all the other guys who have struggled, but he kind of flies under the radar. So a big hit for him today. Good win for the Mets as they take the opener. Now they lose the nightcap, and you might think to yourself, well, split. You know, you would like to be able to take both games, especially after the way that you came back in that first game, maybe some carryover to game two, and that was not the case. But a split for the Mets is, is not that bad. It's not like another team splitting, a team that's leading their division, splitting a doubleheader or maybe letting an opportunity slip through their fingers because really, as long as the Mets play 500 baseball, I would say probably the, the entire rest of the way, they're almost certainly going to be fine. Now, I know I sound like a broken record, but the National League East is terrible. So, yeah, you'd like to have a bigger lead, and the fact that all these teams in your division are struggling, you'd like to kind of have a stranglehold on it by this point. And that's not the case. But I don't know, even a three-and-a-half game lead, a four-game lead, considering how the other teams have kicked it around the entire year and kind of how they all seem to have their own fatal flaw. If the Mets can just kind of keep their heads a little bit above water the rest of the way, I think they're going to be fine because their fatal flaw so far has been their offense, and I think that that has a far better case of, of, of a case cor- or course correction than the Braves' bullpen or the Phillies' bullpen or or, or the, the, uh, the national starting pitching outside of uh, Scherzer when he's healthy. The Mets started the month of June with a three-and-a-half game lead in the division. They went 15-15 and 15 in June. And by the start of July, you know what their lead was in the National League East? Yeah, you guessed it. It was three-and-a-half. So that doesn't sound like all that much, but who's coming to get them? Like, who, who's the team that, you, that anybody thinks is coming to catch the Mets as long as they don't go into some prolonged, like, you know, death spiral? And it was, it's not like they've exactly been tearing, you know, the cover off the ball this entire time. You have to assume that guys on their team are going to eventually course correct and, and perform like the back of the baseball card, right? Lindor, Conforto, J.D. Davis when he gets back, McNeil, even uh, Dom Smith, Maybe even Pete Alonso. I mean, these guys are not going to be worse in the second half than they were in the first half. So who's the team that's coming to get them? Tell me. Point them out. I'd love to know. The Phillies, I don't think anyone believes in the Phillies. Because, yeah, they can hit, but their bullpen is, is just straight gasoline. That stings the nostrils. Yeah, that's how bad their bullpen is. Joe Girardi's job has been called into question more than once. And even their ace, Aaron Nola's ERA, I think is almost... Almost five, I think it's like four and a half or something like that. 
It's like the, the Mets are the one team is that is clearly the team to beat, and the rest of the teams in the National League East is Dean Wormer reading off the Delta's midterm grades in Animal House. I mean, there, there's nobody who stands out. It's just degrees of bad. Do you realize the Braves this year? The Braves the entire season have never had a day above 500. Not one single day this season have they, not one game. And that's the team that's all of a sudden going to wake up in mid-July and all of a sudden just start performing. And you talk about teams that have just structural flaws. I think the Braves probably have the the biggest ones because their, their rotation has been brutal this year. And their bullpen, which was such a strength last year, I pointed this out a ton of times, last year they didn't blow a game where they had a lead after the seventh inning. This year, I think it's already happened like 11 or 12 times. So, and I mean, their acquisition of Drew Smiley, he's been brutal. Uh, The kid, uh, Max Fried, was a Cy Young candidate last year. He's been terrible. Sorotka's hurt again. So the Braves aren't going anywhere. And I think that was the team everybody kind of looked at going into the year as being the team to beat. (laughs) Guess what? They've been beat. So I don't think they're going to catch fire anytime soon. And then the Nationals have just come through a stretch where they were on absolute file, uh, fire. Kyle Schwarber, you couldn't get him out. And it's almost like the NBA team that was down 20 points rallies to tie the game. And then when they do, they kind of have a little let go of the rope and then slip back again because they're back in third place. And, and the Marlins are the Marlins. So nobody, nobody thought even coming into the year that the Marlins were really going to be a threat even after last season. So, uh, yeah, getting a split of a doubleheader might not sound like it's all that great, but when you, when you transfer, the transfer rate in the National League East of any win is higher than in any other division, and the transfer rate of any other loss is, is lower because every team in the division just keeps losing games. There's not another team that is over 500, and I don't know how many games any of them have spent over 500 this year. The Braves haven't spent a single day. The Nationals were for a slight minute, and then they've fallen back, and the Phillies... I don't, th- I don't think anybody thinks that the Phillies are all of a sudden going to catch fire. So enjoy it, Met fans. You've got a great run. You've got a great summer ahead of you. I know you're nothing full of complaints all the time, but it's, it should be good to be, your, it, be you right now. You've got a pretty good team, and you're playing at a terrible division, and you're almost certainly going to make the playoffs this year. And uh, I think this is probably going to be the final uh, ESPN New York tonight this week. Because tomorrow night we get game two of the NBA Finals, and those don't uh, fly along all that quickly. And then Friday, I'll be with uh, DCR. I'll be filling in for Dave again. So uh, that uh, is on Friday. So if you're up early, 5 a.m., rise and shine, waking up the night before. If that's you, that'll be me too on Friday. And I think it's just going to be me and Rick on Friday. But uh, we'll look, it'll be a surprise to all of us, right? Uh, 1-800-919-ESPN is the telephone number. 1-800-919-3776. The Mets, we've touched on them to start the show. So if you want to get on the Mets, certainly feel free. You know the telephone number. As for the Yankees, is it possible they could get off to a solid start two games in a row? They are threatening, at least. They got a couple of guys on. And um, still only one out in the first inning and John Carlos Stanton coming up. So we'll see. Um, but you know what? Let's get some phone calls in before we go uh, railing on the Yankees. Because, you know, it's, a, it's amazing. When the Yankees are bad, everything is wrong. And look, this is the year. 
I mean, every year there are people who tell me about how the Yankees are doomed and how the Yankees are going to fail and the Yankees are going to be terrible. And they usually have, you know, sometimes a slow start or a stretch where they don't play all that well. And those people say, ah, see? Aha, see? But usually they get things turned around. It's pretty clear at this point this year is not going to be that year. Uh, I, I have absolutely no confidence at all that this group is going to get it turned around to the degree that they would need to to kind of put a, a long stretch of successful baseball together. But when the Yankees are bad, man, the, 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 the venom comes out right away. And this has been the year for venom, certainly. But it's funny because, like, you'll, you'll see things and you'll read things. Like, it's clear the Yankees aren't making any trades, right? They're not, going, they're not ending payroll. They're staying under the luxury tax threshold. But you see all these things all the time on, like, Twitter and everything else. And maybe it's just the people I'm following. I don't know. Maybe i got to find a new group. But then I see, well, you know, the Yankees are too one-dimensional, right? That, that's the, that's the, the criticism. And I, I think it is a fair criticism. And I think that's something that has to be evaluated after the season. Do you have to have a little bit more flexibility? Do you have to have, obviously, a few more left-handed batters in the lineup? You're the Yankees, after all, right? But then I see, well, you know what? If Joey Gallo is avail- available, the Yankees got to go get him. Put him. Well, wait a sec. You're saying that they're too reliant on the home run. What do you think Joey Gallo does? Now, at least he, you know, hits from the left side, but that's about, I mean, he's another guy who's a home run or basically nothing. And he's another corner outfielder. He can't play, you know, he can't play center field. I know at one point he came up as like a third baseman. He doesn't play first base anymore, third base. He's a corner outfielder who's going to hit a lot of home runs, but it's very strange. Well, wait a sec. What do you do? You want more the uh, power, or you want you want to get a little bit more flexibility? Because th- th- if you want more flexibility, you can't say, "Hey, we got to diversify the lineup. We got to diversify the offense. Maybe a little bit more contact, a little bit more base hits uh, oriented, rather than just power and living and dying by the home run." Well, then you can't say the one thing and then say the other thing at the same time. And the Yankees have scored. Luke Voigt with a big base hit, so the Yankees have taken a one nothing lead. And now Glaber Torres, let's all say a prayer for Glaber. 1-800-919-ESPN is the telephone number. 1-800-919-3776. Let's start off on the phones tonight. We'll start off with Aaron. He is in New Jersey. Aaron, you're first up on ESPN New York. Yeah, hey, what's up? First of all, I want to say with, the, with your over and under, I'm definitely going with the under for today. That's no, under two and a half. Well, look, always talks about the Yankees. You, you've already lost your what? bet because the Yankees have just scored two more runs, so it's already up to three. I, I know it's a shock. It's a shock to all of us, and Aaron. I'm sorry, but major. Yeah. Okay. Now, number two, regarding the Yankees, everybody's saying you got to move Glaber to second and put put Lemayo on first. Then what are they doing with Void? We have so many players on the team, but then you have no players on the team at the same second. How does it work? What it, what is going wrong? They just can't hit, and then when they hit, it's the Bronx Bombers, like, all over again. They are so lost right now. They need such a change. It's not normal at this point, no? Uh, well, look, here's, here's the thing. And, Aaron, thanks for the phone call. You know, people will say, you know, that th- this guy's got to do it or that guy's going to do it. I've focused on, on, a lot on Glaber Torres because he has really struggled so far this year. And, and, and his numbers are just, I mean, they're just anemic. They're just terrible and, and not what you would expect from a guy who just a couple of years ago was hitting 38 home runs at his real power-hitting uh, second baseman. In terms of what you do after this year, I, I can see a scenario where they do try to move Glaber back to second base. But to think that that's the only thing wrong with them, I, I think that's really a stretch. Like the idea 
that the defensive aspect of the game is impacting his offense to such a degree that, again, he has been one of the least productive. His defense hasn't been that bad. He, now, look, he'll have his moments. No one's ever going to say that, you know, he's uh, Mark Belanger or, uh, you know, Ozzie Smith at, at shortstop. I grant you that. But his defense, ha- it's not like he's kicking the ball around every single day or he's on pace for, like, 50 errors. That's not true. And I would wonder, like, if his defense was impacting his offense, really it should be at this point that his offense is impacting his defense. Like, if he's going to worry about one thing and is going to impact the other thing, his offense has been by far worse than his defense this year. And if he could get back to being the offensive player, you know, just in the ballpark of where he had been up until the start of last year, that would be a huge move in the right direction. But of course, you know, with the Yankees, if you're you're saying, if you're still someone who wants to have hope or at least uh, is not ready to write off the entire season, like you'd like to see at least some entertaining baseball the rest of the way and and the hope that you can at least be part of the playoff mix. um, I, I don't think that it's about one guy. It's about a course correction. You have to hope that the guys who are the bulk of the offense play to their capabilities. It's not just about one guy. It's about everybody. It's about Glaber getting back to, and just that course correction. I mean, if you look at where Glaber is or where LeMahieu was for a good stretch of this year or where uh, Frazier or Andujar have been, um, you know, those guys, if those guys can start to produce back to what they were and just get over what this has been here the, the first half of the year, well, then, then maybe you could have some hope for the offense because the offense is, is um, that that's that's the main problem? You know, I'm not saying it's the only problem, but that's the main problem because that's one that you can't really correct. Like, there's not really any positions or available players that you're going to bring in who are going to supersede who you have at those positions, right? You're locked in at first base with Luke Voigt, assuming he's healthy. Uh, LeMahieu might bounce around a little bit, but primarily he's going to be your second baseman. Glaber's primarily going to, if he's your shortstop to this degree already. You'd have to think at some point he's going to get better. He's going to be the shortstop. Urshela, barring injury, is going to be the third baseman. Judge is going to be in, in right field. Center field is a complete black hole, and the Yankees are not going to do anything about that, but that's what it is. Uh, and then left field, you kind of maybe bounce some guys around there. Primarily, I would think it's Andujar uh, and, and Sanchez behind the plate. So it's about those guys. The Yankees have made it crystal clear. It's about those guys playing as they are expected to play. They have not done that. I mean, Judge has. Stanton has had a week or two here or there. Uh, Sanchez had a month where he was just on fire, but it has not been nearly consistent enough. So that's what it's about. It's not just about one guy. It's about uh, everyone kind of, you know, performing as they should. Let's go out to uh, Glenn is in Staten Island. Glenn, you're next up on ESPN New York. Hey, Gordon. How you doing? I'm good, man. What's going on? Even here, Gordon, I hate to be negative. Okay. Second and third, Gleiber gets a single to left. They throw it home. He doesn't go to second. The shell hits a ground rule double, so he only gets to go to third base. And God is probably going to make out here. So even in a good night, you know, they don't play right, you know? Well, I mean, I, I got to go back in the commercial because I was doing stuff on the air, and I saw the base hit, but I didn't see right. him not get to uh, to second. So I'll take a look yeah. at the break. But, you know, I wanted to ask you, I enjoy your work, right? And I know uh, you have, I'm not trying to pry. I know you have a family. You are on so much. <laughs> you, what, you sleep at the studio and then you talk about your kids I say how does he see his kids 
Well, well look, I mean, the way that it works right now, I mean, everybody has been broadcasting from home, so this has been ideal. Uh, I mean, I, I get up in yeah, yeah, I get up in the morning, I do you know the things for a few hours during the, the shows then, and then you know by noon I'm done, have lunch, you know, do things with the kids, get outside. You don't get a break. You must take the microphone with you no matter where you go. Look, Glenn, when you get an opportunity, man, you don't give up. You know these guys, they don't give up these jobs. So any any yeah. when you get the foot in the door, that's just the beginning. You got to keep that microphone in your hands twenty four seven. You know what the station manager should do though, because. From in the morning, you never know who's on. They should, shouldn't even say what show it's on. Han's on in the morning. <laughs> we have had morning. we have had a juggling of the shows and the names. Yes, <laughs> that just is true. ESPN Sports Talk. That's it. Who cares? The right. same guys are on. You just don't know when. You know exactly. It's like a it's like a hodgepodge. Yeah, absolutely. No, yeah. Look, everybody's bouncing around here and there, and it's a summertime, so you know there's vacation yeah. that comes up and stuff like that. So that's gonna happen. yeah. But you're very good, Gordon. You have thank a good you, Glenn. Way I appreciate about. that. And, and you mentioned Belanger. I think you were that old. I mean, you know, I'm old. Well, I, it's just the, that's you know, it's the first one that comes to mind because he was you know all field, no hit kind of guy. So that's the first know. one that comes to mind. You're not that old, You didn't see Belanger, right? Oh uh, no, I saw a little bit of him at the end. I don't know what what year. I remember him with the Orioles a little bit. Yeah, yeah, I saw plenty. You know, I, I, I these Yankee fans. I mean, I go back to '65, '66. I mean, they would. You want you know? I, so I don't get upset. My son. You know, it was a Derek Jeter kid. You know, he was nine when Derek came up. So he's, like, beside himself. Yeah, he's he got to be patient. you got to be patient. Even if they don't win this year. I mean, look what's been going on here for the past 30 years. It hasn't been this bad since 1990. You know, so listen, if we don't win it, and there's still plenty of time. Let's see what happens here. You know, right. well, Glenn, a- you, you are you are more optimistic than I. Uh, I appreciate the phone call. Um, I, I would say, well, look, there there is absolutely a generation of Yankee fans who have become absolutely spoiled. I mean, I, I remember I went to high school in the late 80s. And at that point, it was, you know, Mets, Mets, Mets. And I was the one Yankee fan saying, you know what? Don't worry. They're rebuilding. Don't worry, they got these guys coming. They got this guy, Bam Bam Mulins. Do, will you wait until you see Hensley Bam Bam Mulins? So I know what those days were like. And when I was a kid, uh, there was such a stretch where it was like the Yankees never made the playoffs. Never made the playoffs. So no, there's absolutely a degree. There, there is a section of the fan base who has become absolutely spoiled um, and expects World Series, you know, they think that the late 90s is, is like routine. That's what's supposed to happen. We'll live the rest of our lives and never see a, a team probably win four in five years, maybe ever again. So, no, there is absolutely a section of the fan base that is, that is spoiled. Now, that's not to say that this is nearly acceptable enough. And, you know, it's not – to me, the criticisms of Cashman are not, not on, on this year's team. No matter how this year's team goes, it's on the overall state of the organization. It's that in 2017, it looked like, okay, we're on the cusp of something great. And then you change managers, and four years later, you have not even been back to a World Series, never mind win one. And, and that has not been, this was not the rebuilding times of the New York Yankees. You know, it was Brian Cashman saying, you know, I don't want to sacrifice a championship for championships. Well, I, I would start with one, and let's see where we go from there. 
And it's the overall state of the organization, the fact that this team has had no one while Luke Voigt was out. They had no one in the organization that could play first base. Not a person. They had nothing. It was day after day. Nobody could play first base. They had nothing out of the position. Center field. Apparently, there's nobody in the organization who can play center field because then that is another absolute black hole. And it's an ownership that seems content, even while this is supposed to be a win-now year, setting the boat adrift, pushing it out to sea, and seeing if, it's, if, it's, if it floats or if it sinks. And if it sinks, oh well, there's always next year. So that, that's the frustrating part of it, because this is supposed to be a time where the Yankees are getting closer to winning, and it feels like they're getting much further away. And <laughs> the fact that they're not likely going to make the playoffs this year tells you that, yeah, they are definitely getting further away. Yankees up 3 nothing as they play bottom one with Nick Nelson getting the start tonight. So, look, Yankees are probably going to score, need to score a bunch of runs. And I, I was not all that hopeful going in, but they've already exceeded my expectations. They already have three runs on the night. And I went back and looked at the Glaber play. Glaber had a, like a soft liner to uh, left field that the left fielder made, tried to make a diving catch on, and it came up short and kind of trapped the ball there. So um, could he possibly have gotten to second? Yeah, maybe. But you know what? With the amount of outs that the Yankees have made on the base paths this year, I'm fine with him just staying at first base. You know what? Don't hurt yourself. Let the run score. Don't get thrown out at second base. Let's just stay at first base, and we'll, we'll work from there. Don't, don't keep running into outs. Um, so, no, I don't have a problem with that one. Now, as far as the Cashman thing that we're talking about there for, for the break, you know, it's not just the team this year. Um, it's, it's a lot deeper than that. And I know that he's got a year left on his current deal, so I'm sure that after this year, because you've heard it, I mean, they didn't do anything wrong. It's on the players, right? It's all on the players. Well, it's the state of the team, yes, but, you know, it's the, it's the fact that he picked the manager, right? He went out on a limb, and that's his guy, and he, he wanted a change of, of uh, a voice in the room and felt like that was going to get the team to that next level, and it certainly has not uh, it's the state of the farm system. It's the payroll with all these guys kind of locked in to, to these long contracts, which is fine if you're going to, you know, like when you signed the coal contract, you had to think, all right, at some point that, that can't contract is really, you know, going to co- probably be a mistake. But you're, you're hoping that by the time that time pops up, you got a couple of World Series or at least one. Uh, now it seems like you're getting further away. And now with his, his struggles here as a, re, as a result of the, um, the crackdown on the banned substances, now you're really concerned about that deal. You got Stanton locked in again, a deal that you make because, hey, we're a game away from the World Series. We get one more piece. This is going to put us over the top. That's not been the case. But it's the other contracts as well. The Hicks contract is terrible. The, the, the Severino deal has not worked out. The reliance on, you know, over-reliance, I think, on, on, on analytics. Not, nobody's saying that analytics doesn't have a place, but it doesn't really seem like the Yankees are breaking any new ground in terms of, uh, you know, they, they've had some success stories for sure, but, you know, the resting of players, which Kaiser ties into that, giving guys two days off when, you know, even one day off seems a bit much. Um, the fact that they're all right-handed, all these type of things, and the pitching staff. I mean, that's, that's one that kind of just kind of flies under the radar, but the, the, the time and time again of not being able to put together a pitching staff that can kind of maybe carry the team. Now, it did for a little stretch this year, but 
that seemed like it was kind of unsustainable based on the fact that you knew at some point Kluber was going to probably miss some time, and that turned out to be the case. And the fact that Tyone, uh, coming off the injuries, you knew that that was not a guy you could really rely on to go deep into games. So it's Cole and it's, it's Montgomery, who's been okay. He's been, I think he's been a little unlucky at times, but he's been fine. He, he, he's not really the issue, but Herman has not been great. The, the, the rotation overall we thought was going to be a bigger issue coming into the season. And now that's starting to rear its head as the offense kind of gets going. So it's not just about this year for cash, but it's, it's, it's about a lot of things. But again, after hearing from the owner and hearing from everybody in basically the front office and the manager and all these type of things, it's clear nothing's going to change. Nothing's going to change. All right, let's go back to the phones. 1-800-919-ESPN. Uh, Eli is in Washingtonville. Eli, what's going on? Hey, Gordon. Listen, how, how long have I been calling and telling you that Cashman was a terrible GM? Well, you've been and calling for like, a while, and no, you've no, generally been wrong. I mean, you, you have to, Eli, you have to be fair. I mean, when the guy has a team that's winning 100 games a season and going to the playoffs every single year, it's kind of hard. Nobody's going to fire a GM that way. Right, but uh, the analytics are good for 100 and something games during the regular season. But when it comes to the playoffs, it's a crapshoot. Well, uh, I mean, the Dodgers didn't have a problem with the analytics in the playoffs last year. The Rays didn't have a problem with the, the, the Astros, the Red Sox. I mean, all these teams rely on analytics. They're all heavily analytical teams. Right, but they also sign players when it comes to uh, Mookie Betts and uh, Altuve that define analytics. That they don't need, you, know, you don't need to look at these players and, and do an equation. Where these players come to play and they play – at an all-star level almost every night. But that's not my point. My point is, listen, the last dynasty, the dynasty that the Yankees uh, built was not even from cash. It was his predecessor, and he put a little bit of pieces here and there together. Now, all through, throughout the whole time Cashman has been here, like you said, he hasn't developed any pitching. He's had uh, uh, signings after signings of, of injured players. Injury-prone players like Ellsbury, you're going to tell me Staten was going to be a guy that was going to last. You're not, listen, all these things were, were mind-boggling moves like where you don't understand it. You know, and the thing with Buster only said the other day uh, that I heard in, in an interview that if Brian Cashman gets, was to get fired, he'll get a job in five minutes. No, well, I mean, look, look I, Eli, you can, you can give credit to whoever you want to give it to. At the end of the day, Brian Cashman almost certainly is going to be in the Hall of Fame as a general manager. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, I'm just telling you. I, I mean, the that. guy has run the Yankees for 20-something years. They've won all the World Series that they did. You can give, you know, you can give credit to Stick Michael or Bob Watson or whoever you want. I mean, those the, 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 the late 90s ones. They go on, on, uh, you know, Cashman was the GM in 98. He was the GM in 99. He was the GM in 2000. He was the GM in 2009. I mean, there's, baseball's not littered with GMs who have four World Series rings. Yeah, you, you got a point. But like I said, look at the disaster that he built this season. Like, it's, Absolutely. It's, look, th- this is... You don't, have no, you don't have no farm system at whatsoever. Like, I don't understand how we, 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 we depleted our farm system. And we signed players that handcuffed us, like Stag. Like, he, he does a lot of stuff over, over reaction. Like, but he didn't get Otani? Oh, let me go get Stag. He didn't sign Robinson Cano? 
oh, let me go just get Ellsbury. Yep. And then when these things fall apart, I'm talking about this guy had a 200, he spent 200, over $200 billion since 2009. Oh, he hasn't spent $200 billion. He spends $200 million a year. That's not too, that might be two billion dollars. It's not two hundred billion. Yeah, <laughs> he hasn't that's spent that's that much. Two over two hundred billion dollars. Right. Like in in that span. They said that in contract, the Yankees have spent over two hundred billion dollars. Two hundred billion dollars? No, it can't be two hundred billion dollars. Two hundred million dollars in no. ten years, right? If you're spending yeah. two hundred million yeah, dollars a year. <laughs> okay. Yeah. It would be two billion. It's not two hundred billion. Right, now that we got sorry. the math worked out. But, and oh, look, the, guy look, made, I, yeah. the guy made six hundred million. He makes six hundred million dollars in salary, and he brings in Aaron Boone that makes eight hundred something thousand dollars. Yeah, well, look, I think the numbers were getting a little skewed here. I don't think that uh, Brian Cashman's making six hundred million dollars either. But you know, who am I? Maybe I don't know. Who knows? Um, Look, it's hard to argue uh, in terms of the state of the team. And, it, and it, what's frustrating is is that there are guys who at times who have performed in the minor leagues. Now, you might not believe in their track record long term. Uh, like Estevan Florial was a guy who apparently, I guess, the Yankees just don't believe in long term. But considering the production that you have gotten out of center field, isn't it worth a shot? I mean, this is a guy that you have in your farm system. This is a guy who has been, and it's not like he's a guy that's come out of nowhere. This has been one of these highly touted guys within your organization for a while. I mean, it was a couple of years ago where they were saying, you know, expect big things out of Estevan Florial. Now, he had some injuries and some inconsistency since then. And I'm not telling you that maybe he's the long-term answer, but he's got to be a better answer. That I mean, no team has gotten worse production in center field so far this season than the New York Yankees. And they have other guys down there that, you know – Look, you might say that they're not long-term pieces. For a team that is desperate for a spark, for a team that has made it clear that they are going to limit the amount of options that they have to make changes, those would seem to be areas where you could make some changes, and they have refused to do so. Now, we've touched on the Mets. They split their doubleheader, which in the National League East, that's like winning a game and a half because the other teams in the division are just so bad. Just winning one game, the chances of the other teams being able to keep up, very, very difficult. The National League East is by far the worst division in the entire sport, and the Mets are the beneficiaries of that. So good for them. They won one game today. That'll certainly keep them. That's all they have to do. Just win every other day, and they will be in great shape as being the National League East champion. As we've run down, who's going to catch them? Who is going to catch them? The Nationals? The Nationals had their hot stretch. And now they've cooled off again, and they've gone back under 500. The Phillies, nobody believes in the Phillies. And the Braves, they have not spent a single day this season. Not one day over 500. Like, as bad as the Yankees have been, they've been over 500. They're still over 500. The Braves have not spent one single day being a winning team this year. Now, speaking of the Yankees, we've all left them for dead. But isn't it just possible? Isn't it just possible that things come alive in Seattle? Hit it, baby! Yes, the Yankees are back! Get on that train! This is the turning point of the New York Yankees season. A series against the Mariners. First up, the Mariners. Next up, the American League wildcard. 
Yeah, baby. Aaron Judge with a big two run. Oh, you can't stop the Yankees, mainly because Nick Nelson's already out of the game. If Nick Nelson were still in there, you'd be able to stop him, all right? But look, the Yankees have a 5-1 lead. Maybe on their way here. Couple more runs here. Who knows? Anything's possible. Anything's possible. Glaber has a base hit today. It wasn't an extra base hit, but he doesn't do those type of things anymore. Everybody want, everybody doesn't want them worrying about slugging so much. Glaber's the perfect guy. All he does is get singles. So uh, we've been focused on the Yankees. We've been focused on the NBA Finals. And um, we do have to touch on some football tonight because uh, the Jets, the Giants, it won't be long now, people, until uh, training camps are open. But uh, let's focus on the NBA Finals. The Suns take game one. It certainly does seem like it's going to be a Suns series. It felt that way going in. Uh, maybe a little bit of hope with Giannis being able to play in game one. At least that leaves it as a question. Like Richard Manhattan, he called the other, what was it, what night were we on? Tuesday? I think it was Tuesday. Wait, Monday. today's Wednesday. It was Monday. I can't get, when you have a holiday on the Monday, it screws up the whole week. I'm all messed up. So he called up on Monday and said, wouldn't it be such a great story if the Bucks win the title and Giannis doesn't play? That's never really happened before where a top, you know, five player, uh, a former MVP, sits out and the team still wins the championship. I'm thinking to myself, there's a reason why that hasn't happened. <laughs> and it's probably not going to happen here either. So you have to preface I didn't do a good job of that prefacing uh, Richard's call there uh, because, you know, saying that they should have kept Giannis out of game one uh, and then bring him in for game two, the old switcher, see if you can get a win without him. But based on how they played in game one, with if you don't get the win with Giannis, you're not going to get the win without Giannis. And, and I know that now that they've made the NBA Finals, Mike Budenholzer's job is, is almost certainly safe. I think once they got past the Nets, the, the overwhelming you know, um, feeling within league circles was that his job, that he would be back in Milwaukee. And I don't know that necessarily that's the right move. If he went to Giannis and told Giannis, look, here's the plan. I got an idea. Even though you want to play, even though you're ready to play, we're going to sit you out tonight. And we're going to go and try and win the game without you. And then in game two, we'll do the old switcheroo, put you back in there. We'll see. All of a sudden, if he were to do that, I think Mike Budenholzer's job might be back, might be back in jeopardy. Might be back in jeopardy. All right, let's go back to the phones. 1-800-919-ESPN is the telephone number. Let's go to uh, Buddha is in the Bronx. Buddha, what's going on? Hey, Gordon, what's going on, buddy? How you doing, man? I'm good, man. Long time, no talk. What's up? Yeah, yeah, it's like Carmen San Diego. I haven't seen you guys in a minute. But, <laughs> you know what? Oh, man, I mean, I, I, I called about basketball with the playoffs, but I just got to say one thing when I hear you talk about the Yankees and ride the train. It, it's coming. Buddha, they get back on. There's plenty of seats available. The bandwagon is is loading up in Seattle. But listen, I, I know there's seats available. I'm going to wait for the next train. I mean, it's going, it, the worst thing in the world, right. the worst thing in the world that could happen for the Yankees would be some kind of mishap where they end up getting into that wild card situation and there's another year of we're going to reevaluate. I mean, change needs to happen and it needs to happen yesterday, and we all know that. Yep. Uh, Booty, you're absolutely right. If I, I think even if they don't, I, I don't think that Cashman's going, but yeah, if they get into not even the wild card, even if they get into the chase, right? They come up a couple of games short, 
they can explain that away. Well, you know, it was a fluky year. We got off to the bad start. Next year is going to be a different story. So you're right. It, you're, it, it does feel like maybe the best thing would be the worst thing right now. The funny thing is you're just waiting to hear that speech from Cashman about how Boone was a great guy. You know, we really appreciate all he's done. He's going to be pushing him off that train pretty soon. <laughs> right after the season. Yeah. Oh, you're the right guy. Not anymore. You know, it feels, it feels so dirty it for does. that to even happen. I, you know, I'm sort of on Boone's side now to, to a certain extent. But anyway, let's, let's, let's not even give ourselves a headache to talk about that. Now, with these NBA playoffs, there's been a few people who've elevated themselves. Obviously, um, Trey Young elevated himself. Yes. You know, Chris Middleton has elevated himself. Uh, there are a few people who've, uh, what do you call it, the opposite of whatever that is, have elevated themselves, sunk to the basement. I mean, Doc Rivers is at the head of the glass with that. Yeah. I mean, he's how yeah. Hesman at Simmons, this point. Ben Simmons, Julius Randle. Yep. Very, very disappointed. You know, just the whole way the team looked, the way they were responding to him, everything. But I'm, I just called a couple of different shows, and I'm going to ask you the same question. I mean, give me a reason or give me a scenario, something, of how this right here, and, you know, and, and with the injuries and everything that's happened, it has put a damp on these finals and these playoffs. There's no way around it. But I just want some reason to think that I'm going to have an opportunity to watch a game six in these finals. The backcourt matchup between the Suns and the Bucks, not only in terms of talent, but in terms of play under pressure, it, it, it's, not, it, it's a big disparity. And if Aiton is going to, you know, especially with Giannis being hurt, if Aiton is going to be the livest body at the five or the four position, yep. I don't understand. Uh, I don't, especially with the coach of Davis. He might keep his job and all that. You and I both know that in game, uh, when, when things need to change, he's the absolute worst that you want to see. Even if, forget about what he's doing on the on the chalkboard. Even his facial expressions and his body language look horrible. The guy Putin also. How do the Bucks? win more than one game in the series. It's very hard to imagine uh, because, and you're right, you know, Budenholzer is, he, he's, the, he's the, the class of, you know what, these are my guys and I'm sticking with my guys. This is what we do and we just have to be better at what we do. And uh, I, I think that they have to make some adjustments clearly. Uh, you know, Brooke Lopez got eaten alive and you're right. I mean, the backcourts, uh, even, even, the, even the, the, um, the reserves, uh, Johnson and Payne, when they came in, I mean, there was really not a whole lot of drop-off there either. So, you know, I, I guess they're probably going to have to go with more Connaughton and uh, maybe Bobby Portis. But, <laughs> you know, like th- there's not a lot of great options for the Bucks. Listen, the Phoenix bench is clearly – Oh, better. Yeah. The Bucks bench the starters. So listen, like I said, I'll give Milton credit. Because I remember I called you a fool and I was like, you mind when this dude I should play with back in the days called Doc? Around the way, he was great. But as soon as we get off the block, his jump shot wouldn't hit. He's actually changed that narrative a little bit. He but has. Holiday is inconsistent. And that just the collective between Paul and Holiday, that, that, that's a problem, man. That, that's a big problem. That's a big problem. Yeah, Buddha. I mean, look, it's one of those things, and, and it wouldn't surprise me. Buddha, thanks for the phone call. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me if, if maybe injuries pop up again, but uh, barring injury, right? I mean, it doesn't really seem like there's um, 
the, the matchups don't really seem to favor the Bucks here. Uh, and, and you take a look at the way Paul was just able to just carve them up. Uh, and this was a night where, where Booker's shot wasn't really great. Uh, they got nothing out of Crowder uh, at all. Not that they're expecting a whole lot out of him, but, you know, something offensively. I think he had one point. Uh, and you're right. I mean, unless, unless Giannis is going to uh, all of a sudden in game two going to be a lot closer to 100% and he just kind of takes over the game or, or something like that, it's very hard to imagine a way the Bucks uh, have much of a chance to win this series. We have uh, resurrected the Yankee season based on a 5-1 lead in the third inning. No, I'm just being sarcastic. The Yankee season's done. And it does make you, like, uh, when we were, when I was doing uh, DCR last week, I think it was, there was a segment we did with, like, uh, is it uh, Cuddle Mary Trash or was it something else along those lines where it was, like, what should the Yankees' plan be here moving forward? Should it be buyers at the said line, side, uh, the trade deadline, be sellers at the trade deadline, or just kind of stand pat at the trade deadline? And to me, uh, it's clear they're not, they're not buyers, right? Like anything that they do is going to be very, very minimal. They are not, the, again, the number one goal, as I've been saying all season long, and is tied into a lot of the issues of this team, is that they are not exceeding the luxury tax threshold. So any dreams or hopes that you think of making a big splash or bringing in a player that makes some, some significant money where the team, the other team is not paying the bulk of that money, get that out of your head. That's not really even an option. Bringing back players that from the past, uh, somehow in a lab, re, uh, uh, you know, re-engineering, that's a better option right now than thinking that the Yankees are going to go out and trade for some blockbuster trade. So that's not going to happen. But it is. The worst thing that could happen is kind of stand pat. Like, I don't want to be um, excusing this season away. Like, if they do play better at a stretch and get themselves back into the playoff mix uh, in terms of one of the wild cards, and then they come down to the stretch, and it's clear that they're not really in the mix. And that's the thing about 2016. They weren't completely out of the mix back then either. But they decided, you know what, we don't have enough to get there, so let's, let's have a small, you know, bit of a fire sale or a bit of a tear down, and that did benefit them. Now, that's probably the right course of action for this year, too. The, the one I think that you really can't deal with, the, the worst course of action would be to Sam Pat. Like, that, that to me is, is the one that really would bother me. And if, if, if adding is not a possibility, well, then the only good one is, is, is moving off maybe some players. The problem is I don't know how many – really appealing players that they're going to have uh, that other teams are going to be calling about. All right, so uh, the Yankees still lead 5-1 as they play in the third inning. Third inning, people. We've been playing for an hour, and they're only in the third inning. Top of the third, no less. Um, Let's get into a little bit of football because you have 63 days until the NFL season is back. And, man, we can't wait until it's back. This is maybe the first time in a long time that you can have not just the delusional fans, but if you're a Jets or a Giant fan, you can actually have some hope. You can have some legitimate excitement about where your team is going, right? The Giants, this is a year where they should absolutely be competing in the NFC East for a division title. There's no – I mean, we talk about the, the, uh, the National League East. The, the, the NFC East is kind of the same thing. They're all kind of flawed teams. And, and which team is the one that's going to uh, be able to, to overcome those flaws? Clearly, you would say it's probably the most talented team is the Cowboys. 
But no, I, you know, <laughs> when was the first, when was the last time the Cowboys uh, failed to meet expectations? It seems to happen quite, quite regularly. So there's no reason why the Giants aren't competing, if not for a division title, for maybe a wild card. This has to be the year where they step up and start winning some games. Clearly haven't done that any time lately. So the, the excitement level as a Giant fan has to be higher than it's been in a very long time. And I don't know necessarily that the Jets' level, fan, level of excitement is, is so much based on what you think wins and losses are going to be this year. As much as it is, it's a fresh start. It's a new beginning. It's a new day with a new head coach, a new quarterback. And the beginnings are, are always kind of fun, right? To see what you got, to see what you're dealing with. It, and it's got to be. It, I mean, come on. It has to be better than the last couple of years, right? There's no possible way that it could be any worse than the last couple of years. So uh, Jeremy Fowler was on with Greeny and uh, was talking about the, uh, the New York Jets and was talking about the Zach Wilson and his contract situation. What's the deal with that, Jeremy Fowler? Trevor Lawrence was fighting for no offset language in his contract, which means if he gets cut in year three or four, he can double dip. He gets his guaranteed money from Jacksonville and he can go sign with another team. So he won that battle. So Zach Wilson can probably go to the Jets and say, hey, I want no offset language in my contract either. I think the Jets will be fine with that, but there are always some little intricacies you got to work out with these deals. You know, they're, they're pretty cookie cutter now. There aren't any major holdouts. I don't expect Wilson to hold out. Should get done, but he was most likely waiting on Lawrence in this case. So closer to training camp, I think that will get wrapped up. All right, so that's the situation with Zach Wilson. You would think that, you know, pretty soon here that that will get wrapped up. That doesn't seem to be, uh, you know, hopefully no holdout or anything like that. That's the last thing that you would certainly want coming into a season with a rookie quarterback and a new head coach. Uh, But, you know, something else kind of caught my eye during the week. Pro Football Focus looked at teams' draft choices over the last 15 years and which was the worst draft choice of each team. Have you seen this list? For the Giants, they came up with Eli Apple, which to me seemed, I don't know, I I don't know what they're basing it on. At least Eli Apple has had a a bit of a career. Um, I would think that if you're talking about, like, the worst Giants draft picks uh, over the last 15 years, um, either DeAndre Baker would have, I mean, that was a first-round pick that you kind of, and you traded up to get that first-round pick, and that certainly did not work out. Um... Didn't they take Eric Flowers with the ninth pick in the draft? I mean, that that has happened since 2006. I mean, Eli Apple was the 10th pick. Eric Flowers was the ninth pick. I mean, how could that not be the the worst draft pick that you've had uh, in that span? So I thought that was a little strange. The one that they picked for the Jets, to me, was, was even weirder. And you'd have to say, with the New York Jets, a lot of options there, right? I mean... You had Mike McCagnan, who was basically burning picks left and right here in his entire tenure with the team. And the pick that they went with was very odd. They went with Mark Sanchez. Their reasoning was um, Mark Sanchez, the number five pick. There's a lot of good content to choose from with the Jets. Darnold was obviously the highest drafted, but they subsequently got a nice little return from the Panthers for him. So it's hard to say... It's to ding the value too hard. Sanchez, however, took a lot of draft capital secure via trade and quite easily cost one of the best rosters in the NFL a chance at a Super Bowl. Well, look, the fact that he's a quarterback, I guess you could maybe put a focus on that a little bit more. Uh, I just have a problem. Like, at least Mark Sanchez 
was not a complete bust. And unfortunately for the Jets, they've had a lot of complete busts, complete busts in the span that you're talking about. Like the one to me that will always be on the former GM's resume has to be Christian Hackenberg. Now, that was a second-round pick, but second-round picks are not nothing. Second-round picks, that's kind of teams hit with the same regularity as second-round picks as they do first-round picks. And that was not just like a slight miss. That was a complete miss and was a complete miss from jump. He never played. He never got into a game. He never really got close to getting into a game. So I would think that if you're looking through the Jets draft picks over the last 15 years, boy, oh boy, you got a lot of, you got a lot of possibilities there. I mean, that one draft that John Itzik had where basically nobody, what was it, 2015, 2014, whatever it was, basically nobody is even in the NFL, never mind, <laughs> never mind on the team. So you got a lot. You, I mean, there's a lot of options there. What about Vernon Golston? He was the sixth pick in the draft, and he stunk. Did he ever have a sack? I don't think he ever had a sack in a game, and he was the sixth pick in the draft. Man, that, there's a lot of options there. So, I, look, I, I know that Mark Sanchez, as a result of uh, maybe the butt fumble or, or, or maybe he's an easy target, to me, there's, he's not even close to the worst draft pick. At least you got some production. Now, it might not have been the production you were hoping for when you traded up to, to the fifth pick in the draft and a quarterback, but he did get you to two AFC title games. He, he, wasn't, uh, he wasn't as brutal as some of those other picks. There's a lot. I mean, uh, uh, John Idzik, I mean, the, the two guys back-to-back, it's, it's almost like every time that somebody leaves and gets fired, you always think to yourself, well, that guy, that guy was so bad, nobody can be worse than him. And the Jets kind of followed it up with someone who was kind of as bad as Itzik. I mean, run through uh, McCagnin's draft picks year after year. There's a lot of, boy, a lot of misses there as well. So, and that's one of the reasons why, you know, (laughs) these next couple of years, it's going to be a lot of rebuilding for the Jets. It's not, they're not, they're not close yet. They they got a lot of work to do. So, um, and and the quarterback getting him into camp is important and all those type of things. But uh, I I thought that uh, Mark Sanchez being the worst pick in the last 15 years, uh, I'm not saying you hit a home run. But at least it was maybe, you know, maybe a single, uh, you know, maybe a, st- a chance to stretch it to a double. It, wasn't, it was not the worst pick. There was lots of you, – you could go through the list and, uh, of all the picks that the Jets have had. Here, let me, let me pull up some of them here because they've had – I mean, come on. That's crazy. Now, you'd have to base it kind of on where guys were taken uh, as well. But to me, if you're just going by draft picks – like, you have to kind of separate the round that they were drafted in. Being in the second round is not nothing. Like, that, that's not – he was uh, – Christian Hackenberg was the 51st pick. And even when they made the pick, everybody was like – people thought maybe a fifth round, maybe a sixth round. He was taken in the second round. That was just a – oh, my gosh, that was a disaster. Here is the um, – here's the one I was talking about before. 2014, the Jets took Calvin Pryor at 18 – Jason Morrow, remember him, the tight end? Dexter McDougal, Jalen Saunders, who was hurt all the time. Uh, Shaquille Evans, I don't even remember Shaquille Evans. They had one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve picks. 
12 picks, and I think only one of them is uh, still in the NFL. The only, I, I, you'd say, was a good pick for the Jets was Quincy Anunua, and they took him in the sixth round. So every other pick was, was not a good pick for them. And then they had D. Milner. Remember D. Milner the year before? He was the ninth pick in the draft. So, our Quinton Copels. I mean, <laughs> Stephen Hill. I forgot about Stephen Hill. There's a lot of bad picks that the Jets have. I mean, 2006, you could fill a book. Vlad Dukas, there's another one. Second round pick. I mean, woof, yikes. So, no, that. And then Vernon Golston in 2008. 2006, you did all right with Revis and David Harris. And then the year before, the Brickishaw Ferguson and Nick Bangold. So uh, you'd ha- that's a long way to go back. But, um, yeah, you could fill a book with the bad uh, picks that the Jets have had, at least with uh, Sanchez. Uh, you-, you got something out of them. That might not have been a lot, but you got something out of them, a whole lot more than a lot of the other guys who weren't exactly low draft picks. Like, you can complain about the way the Jets have gone about their business. Their, their failures have not been because they have not been picking high up in the draft enough. They've done that plenty here over the last 10 years. This is ESPN New York Tonight with Larry Hardesty and Gordon Damer on 98.7 ESPN.